0: Hey guys, buckle up for the premiere episode of Humanoid. The podcast discusses how your humans can and should interface with your machines in the Western Canadian process industry. Whether you're an operator, a control system specialist, a manager, a social media control system influencer, is there such a thing? Or heavens forbid, even an engineer, you're sure to pick up some actionable tidbits when you listen to Humanoid. Uh, and as if that weren't enough, we're going to play a round of our famous game, Whose Alarm Is It Anyway? Uh, So uh, we'll be discussing uh, trends and um, trends in HMI design uh, that we're seeing in industry. Uh, We've got uh, two special guests with us today. Uh, And we will obviously touch on the uh, eagerly awaited new graphics engine from Emerson called uh, Delta V Live. So uh, without further ado, uh, allow me to introduce our guests. Uh, Benji Kidmos is an uh, Automation Manager for CNRL, a uh, veteran of the energy game uh, in Alberta, British Columbia. Um, Benji has uh, worked on uh, many projects from, uh, you know, uh, instrumentation to uh, SCADA work to um, large control system implementations at, uh, at large, large facilities throughout the province. Uh, And Benji has a particular interest in graphics and operator interfaces. Uh, Welcome, Benji.
1: Thanks for having me. Uh,
0: Our second guest, uh, a man who needs no introduction, uh, a local legend uh, by way of Quebec and Texas, uh, former marketing manager at Emerson uh, who works for Spartan Controls, um, the uh, author of uh, the revolutionary distributed I.O. product known as Charms, um, Andre Decaire. Welcome, Thanks for Andrei. having me. Yeah. Uh, besides uh, Andre's uh, encyclopedic knowledge of the inner workings of uh, the Delta V distributed control system, uh, like Benji, uh, Andre also has a particular interest in the uh, performance shaping factors embedded in today's operator interfaces, um, specifically uh, Delta V Live. So, uh, and finally, welcome to you, the listener. Uh, we hope to spark something here on Humanoid and uh, get some uh, interesting conversations going with, with our guests. So, um, you know, uh, we, when we talk about HMIs, uh, the, the historical aspect to me has always been very fascinating. Uh, when I've gone to, uh, to older plants, old, old gas plants from, from the 60s that you find uh, in, in Alberta, uh, a lot of times you see that, uh, that old, uh, the whole wall, and someone's painted on the process, uh, and then there's sort of like lights uh, that represent you know switch statuses, pump r- run statuses, that kind of thing, uh, and literally there's uh, push buttons and relays and sometimes chart recorders, right? So it's a very early version, a uh, non-electronic version of, uh, of of a human-machine interface. So um, some plants they preserve that sort of a as as a historical uh, memento, and I, I en- I've always enjoyed seeing that that kind of thing, but it's really uh, really Begs the question, you know, where where did we start with uh, these these uh, these interfaces, uh, and, and and why why the interest in uh, high performance uh, HMIs? Um, part part of the answer that um, part of the answer is uh, it came from the aviation industry, where yeah those those traditional boards are are pretty good at uh, running a, a slow uh, slow process, but uh, once you uh, increase uh, the energy in these uh, aircraft uh, and and the the performance, well, you start running into some limits um, and and you start to uh, really uh, exceed the limits a human can process information. So we've got to find uh, a better way. Uh, So um, essentially it's it's a a challenge in human information processing. Uh, And one of the things that always uh, jumps out at us is uh, the use of color. Right on on these uh, these HMIs, especially the the older ones, um, and uh, we've seen some very colorful displays in the past. Hey Gabe, uh, yeah,
2: you know you're talking about these mimic panels, and it reminds me of some of the things that I've gone through. But I actually worked at a company in the uh, way back in the day uh, where we actually made those little tiles that were etched and assembled together with uh, the information coming back from them, and Coupled that with the operator boards where you the operator used to have all his buttons and dials and switches and uh, single loop controllers that would indicate what was going on, what the operators used to have in a control room way back in the day was an environment that had a lot of information in terms of images right rather than a bunch of data points and numbers on screens they could see the state of the plant as if nothing more than a pattern of normal uh, presentation of lights and dials. And so when we went into the HMI environment uh, initially, we, uh, I think we're, we ended up being overly concerned about getting data to the operator, how much data we could put on a screen. And that was the first uh, move into the problems that the DCS created and customers, you know, operators having to deal with all of this data versus the information they were seeing when they walked into the control room and the mimic panels. So we, we've come a long way, but I just, uh, you know, it used to be that uh, control rooms were informative in the image that they provided. And that's where we got away from in the early HMIs.
0: I, I don't know what a, what a
2: mimic panel it's what, is, what, Andres. It's, it's what you were talking about. It's that, okay, that Those, all those that big image, right,
0: uh, the, all those, those
2: little tiles that are assembled together. Each tile is etched individually. And they assemble the lines and the, the, the symbols, if you will, of the
0: Sometimes process. The
1: process flow diagram kind of uh, yeah. etched into uh, panels.
0: Yeah, and that's actually one of the most useful aspects of that is it teaches your operators what the process is. It's right up there on the wall. Right. And you can follow it. Uh, you can get uh, a, a good sense of it. And which, certainly
1: one of the benefits of that would have been... Um, in a, in a large room, what a control room would have been, you could see the whole process from just a the 360 view or maybe even mm-hmm. 180 degrees, kind of a scan from one end of the process to the other without having to flip screens like we do today. And, yeah, not much detail, you,
0: but uh, talk about situational awareness, right? Yeah, that's yeah,
1: right. Yeah, you could call that the uh, early
2: L1 displays that we <laughs> right, now talk about right. in our, uh, <laughs> our HMI uh, philosophies.
0: Yeah. Much
1: more screen real estate though, I'd say.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a big screen yeah uh, so so to your point andre when we moved into the hmi the the computer environment um people tried to represent exactly that and re- reproduce it on the screen um you know and initially uh it was probably pretty rudimentary but at some point in the 90s with pc based uh you know uh commercially available i think they call it cots commercially uh off the shelf. Off, off the, the, shelf. the shelf, yeah. yeah. Equipment, uh, PCs, essentially, we were able to uh, do lots of stuff uh, and in, and in our and graphics. I th- and I
1: think to Andre's point there, where um, you, know, you go from the, the large wall of uh, just the most important information, because building a wall, uh, one, you had real estate to look after, and two, very expensive to build those. So you carefully mm. chose what what showed up on there when you got into uh, an electronic HMI or computer-based HMI. Essentially, everything's free, right? You can yeah. put as much data on a graphic as you wanted to. There's no cost to it. It's sort of the same concept that you hear about alarms all the time, right? When right. we went from those a light board to uh, electronic alarming, the alarm points were free now. So you right. just start adding, 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 and uh, maybe a little bit too much assumption that the operator needs to see everything. Um, yeah, if you had a wall display, it was only the most important information that made it up there, right?
0: absolutely limited real estate uh that alarm better be critical can you imagine mm-hmm. the uh, alarm rationalization uh bar was set very high in the, in those days to get one of those light bulbs on on, on a board yeah so when it converted yeah. over to computer based
1: hmis there was one it's the uh the ability to put everything on there so the assumption that they need everything and then two i think it uh in a lot of cases it started bringing out the inner artist of everybody and uh Maybe got a little bit too artistic license yeah. and freedom in uh, what was designed on the graphic. Right? Yeah. No. Those, so
2: in the early uh, Provox days, you built a graphic using little characters. Right. There was no pixel level type configuration. There were characters that were triangles and mini lines, and you would line up all. It's almost like you built a graphic, like you built the mimic panels. You would make the little tiles. Right. There we had little little objects that were stacked together in a in an array to make a graphic. And then like in the 90s, things went to, uh, you know, three dimensional displays, all of a sudden, how, how creative engineers or display uh, HMI builders could get. But I think that's where we lost the connection to the operators themselves and what they need versus what we, and the people were making decisions on what they should get without really understanding their workflows and their tasks and responsibilities. And as Benji said, everything could have an alarm, so everything did have an alarm, and we didn't have to think about it, and we got into all of these alarm flood situations and uh, consequences, so we've learned and come a long way in our journey through HMI experiences to where we're at today, and even the standards that have been created as a result.
0: Yeah, and like like Benji said, the cost was uh, was nominal to add more uh, graphical elements or alarms, uh, and there was a certain aspect of, uh, cover your butt. So, and you know, we, we took, so add it all, yeah, add it yeah. all. And, and we, we took our, our I D, our piping and instrument diagram. We splayed it across the graphics because, you know, maybe somebody might want to see some dump valve, uh, or some insignificant part of the process. Um, and, and then again, to cover, uh, ourselves, we, uh, we made sure it all had an alarm or, or multiple alarms. Um, and things started to uh, to multiply in, in that sense, and you know we also did uh, interesting things that were um, maybe innovative at the time, where we added like uh, some animations to our HMI. You yeah, know, like yeah, the, the little re- spinning re- pump, the, uh,
1: the artist coming out of people. You know, and that's so the, the artist. Ability to all of a sudden add animation, and wow, this looks really great, right?
0: The yeah, thing. and I remember being impressed by that stuff. Uh, you know, being. In, in school and seeing see
1: the flames move across the
0: screen and the <laughs> flames. Yeah. Flames, spinning pumps, That's valves right. that actually move and actuate as, as the, uh, you know, as they move in the field and Hey, it's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, all excellent stuff. <laughs> it, it was excellent stuff. It was, it was innovative. Uh, you know, it, we, we also had super colorable vessels that uh, actually had the color of whatever process fluid was in them. Uh, same with the lines, you'd have a black line, you'd have a red line, have a blue line for water, whatever, right?
1: Yeah, and a lot of the design, I think, became, uh, let's try to make this a little bit interesting versus a dull graphic, right? I have all this power, why would I make it flat and, and boring, right?
0: Yeah, uh, and you still hear that today I want my operators to see uh, whatever uh, process fluid is in the line, so yeah. let's code that with color. Yeah. That's yeah. right,
1: yeah to make it a little easier for them they, it, what they believe to be easier anyways just by looking at cal- colors right
0: yeah and it's, it's except, kind of except
1: for that color the colorblind operator who
2: didn't really get the benefit of <laughs> that's right yeah. seeing those you know the shades of whatever color and that's another aspect of you know human-centered design that we talk about is making sure that when you do pick color in a graphic you have the right contrasts between colors so that yeah it's evident when things happen based on color and not just because it's happens to be a pretty color and you got to think about how it serves the operator not what it looks like for your design purposes it's personal preferences
1: or in in a boardroom a lot that uh when when somebody maybe goes to design a a graphic or whatever it may be is they they forget or maybe it's not intuitive to uh when you're building a graphic who you're actually building it for right Mm. um you're building it for The panel operator, and and that's the primary user. Uh, It's not for an engineer. It's not for for a DCS guy. Not for a programmer. It it is for the operator, right? So, yeah, really got to start thinking about, well, what does he see,
0: and uh, how does he interact with this, right? And as it turns out, maybe that colorblind operator was uh, was better off uh, just seeing shades rather than uh, all these glaring colors. Um, You know, we. You know, incidents started happening uh, in in industry. Uh, you know, uh, some some major. Uh, you know, the the, the, tex- the Texas uh, refinery that blew up, and you know that came down to uh, uh, an alarm flood uh, root cause, um, and and some other you know rather uh, serious incidents. Yeah, um, that,
1: that was a very that was a pretty interesting story. I think you can watch that on um, the CFB. I think it's called or. Chemical Safety Board, CSB, uh, they got a video enactment of that. It's uh, yeah, it's quite interesting there. And one of them, one of the leading factors, whatever, was uh, the HMI design, how just you couldn't, the operator couldn't see all the information from one place. He had multiple, multiple graphics in order to be able to see the whole process picture, right? So yeah. Couldn't fully see what was going on.
0: Yeah, I believe a, uh, a, a tower filled up with, with hydrocarbon. Um, some some of the uh, alarms that should have come in high level alarms uh weren't visible on the page mm-hmm. he was on um he continued to do uh some some action uh that vessel uh o- flooded uh carried the hydrocarbon over into a, a knockout drum or something that flooded and it went up uh, a flare stack and uh you know the incident uh, got worse from there yeah
2: so, so you... about dealing with those kind of incidents I um Back in 98. the uh, eemua um, is it the it's an organization in, in britain whatever they came up with standards not a standard but a recommendation that uh, from all these studies about alarms and the recommended number of alarms per operator or per time and making sure there's a difference between the priorities and the visibility and all of that uh, work that just happened through the analysis of all these incidences That they found that the the alarm flood situations the alarm design or lack thereof was really at the root cause of a lot of these uh incidences and eventually that grew into the isa 18.2 standard which is available to us these days and which is something that uh, pretty much every hmi should be designing towards um, or something very equivalent to it where you purposefully design those alarms and uh so alarming and Uh, graphic displays are two of the key and separate functions of the HMI. The graphic itself provides that information to the operator to operate the plant. And the alarm system oftentimes is a layer of protection based on how it can advise the operator. And if, if that's poorly designed, then you don't have that protection that affords the operator to take action. And, and certainly we we're talking
1: about HMIs today really predominantly but uh, uh alarms are definitely um they go hand in hand with the HMI design yeah. I think and uh if you have a an a flooded alarm system or a broken alarm system you can have the best HMI in the world but it, it's certainly not going to help an operator make the the correct decisions if the alarms are broken on that HMI right
0: yeah, yeah. they're they're separate but but related yeah, yeah. uh so so we started to see that there was a need for uh some uh improved way to design HMIs uh a lot of the, this was driven by what had happened previously in in, in the air force uh in aviation industry where of course pilots have to have critical information uh on a, on a second to second basis so cockpits and, and uh uh avionics started to be designed with with uh the human operator in mind mm-hmm. um so they they could uh you know, manage their critical process in, in, in a way that was uh, safe, and um, and that started to leak into the the process industry. Uh, and I think you you said the key words earlier, Benji. Uh, this this idea of human centered design,
1: right? So you know, we talk kind of talking about colors being sort of the traditional or in the past, but uh, I would say that it's it, it's still predominant out there. That most HMI's I've seen are, are still designed around a lot of colors. Um, Really, my first experience with grayscale was only goes back probably ten years. Sort yeah. of the first where we started trying to push it. Um, you know, the, our, our first use of it definitely met with uh, a bunch of uh, pushback from the operations. They teams, hate right? it. Even on a greenfield project, we said we're going to go in with this. It was a it was a Honeywell based project, and they had they had released that human centered design solutions for all their. Um, Essentially, gems or dynamos. I'm trying to remember the name of them for Honeywell. It's been a long time, but uh, <laughs> essentially, they That's released fine. a library of all the uh, uh, grayscale items, right? And I remember our first use of it. There was quite a bit of pushback. Uh, we we got it through, and, and but still today, there's most of the HMIs that I see at plants are are still very colorful.
0: Did uh, you get a lot of complaints when you when you when you push that through? You know, it, it certainly is much
1: easier on. Uh, if they're introduced if the operations team's introduced to it before the plant starts, right? To, if their first <laughs> sit down of it is grayscale <laughs> graphics, there's maybe a little bit of him and Han, but yeah. You know, that's what they get used to right away. It's very hard to change their mind once they've been running something for yeah. a number of years and to change it over from all the colours to a grayscale sort of theme. Yeah. That's where you get a lot of the pushback.
0: Operators it, miss the colours.
1: They do. They do. Yeah. And I, I remember an operator telling me the first time he's seen grayscale, he sat down and uh, he said, these are, these are absolutely boring. Yeah. And I said, great. Good. That's the, the
0: point. best compliment <laughs> you could give That was give the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, that whole thing uh, came out of what um, uh, Honeywell had a consortium, and I think it was called ASM for that's abnormal that's situation was, management. management. Yeah. And um, that there was a big push in the industry for that grayscale stuff. And And what we learned after, several years or whatever, a decade of deploying that kind of a display is that there was just, uh, again, a lack of information to the operators. We were presenting them data. We were showing them numbers and the only time there was something abnormal happening on the graphic was when they were in alarm. And so what was happening is operators would at a glance, look at a console and not see anything of interest but they didn't see that the process was drifting or conditions were changing. And so they ended up operating from alarm state to alarm state and then back again. Right. So we learned over a period of time at the expense of our operators Mm -hmm. that, uh, as humans, humanoids, we are pattern recognition engines. We look at stuff as, as a form of pattern. And one of the first examples was given to me of that is when you drive home at the end of the day, do you remember every second of what happened on your drive home or do you find yourself arriving in your neighborhood and you have no recollection of the 10 minutes you spent on the highway because there was nothing worth noting. And so your, your brain processed it and discarded it. And, but as soon as something abnormal happens, a car is coming, you know, towards the highway, your eye will catch that immediately because it's, it's visible. You're not processing numbers. You're not looking at, a number that says that car is coming in at this angle with this speed—you're looking at something worth looking at, right? So it's a pattern of some sort, and that's where we we've moved past that ASM type or grayscale and re- recognize that we need to do more with patterns, like trend lines, spark lines, uh, spider charts, or bar graphs, uh, r- relative position of the PV to alarm conditions or the set point, not oh, the PV's at 92 and the set point is at 87 and the alarm is at what, right? And then do all that math and then do that for 20 or 30 tags on a graphic before you know anything's abnormal. So ASM or grayscale graphics was an initiative to move towards, here's what's going on that you need to look at. But we evolved and, and today we're looking at displays more as patterns of information and uh, multi-line charts that will show you the profile of a temperature in a column instead of uh, 10 or 12 uh, temperature values. That's, it's very important that by recognizing how humans interpret information or images that we build HMIs that are the most informative uh, for the operator to know what's going on at a glance.
1: Uh, that's certainly a good point if you, if you take, you come up through the, the revolution of... Uh... Computers and screens and everything like that, and how cheap they became uh, if you look at uh, if you look at airplanes, they've never really changed. I mean, you look at the cockpit of the mm-hmm. even today's latest airplane. it's not a giant forty three inch screen for the guy to stare at. It's still dials, gauges, you yeah. everything like that right to just allow him to see information at a glance that means something, not just a number on the screen, right? Information in yeah. context. Information in
0: context, that's it, exactly.
1: Yeah. Where Where is this level going, or where has it been in the past, right? Uh,
0: What's normal? Which way am I trending? Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's something to uh, the whole a- a- ASM, uh, grayscale, if you will. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not made up. I mean, there, it's based on cognitive studies uh, of the way humans process uh, uh, color and I- information, um, and, and they've you know, it's you, you. can say that all you want to, you know, someone who's used to a great deal of color, and it doesn't convince them because, uh, you know, and ma- maybe the 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 initial grayscale implementations went too far, um, and and they weren't boring, and they didn't give you a sense uh, of how your process was, um, and that seems to me like the pendulum is kind of coming back to a to a selective use of color. Uh, there's uh, the the so-called warm colors and the cool colors, and 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 you code that. Um, to, to mean something. And like you, like you said, Andre, um, we, we, don't, we don't want a, uh, you know, a quantitative wall of information even if it's uh, coded with the right colors because uh, it's, uh, it, it takes a lot of learning to know what's normal uh, and a lot of checking and say, okay, yeah, like you said, like 87. Is that, you know, well, what's, the, what's the units? What is, is that normal? Is it high? Is it low? Which way is it moving? Uh, and that's kind of what we're putting in, in HMI's um, today, hey guys, I think let's the context uh, of
1: grayscale with uh, or sorry grayscale and the with combined with the informational type of displays that uh, like the trends as as Andre mentioned trends and um, whether it be dials or bar charts or uh, speedometers whatever it may be uh, I th- I think it's really the way to go today that will present the operator with a lot more information and I think if you tried to If you went straight from a colorful graphic right to grayscale, you may get a lot of pushback. But if you went from a colorful graphic to a grayscale in combination with all the right information on the screen, I I think you'd get a lot of uh, acceptance for what you've done.
0: Yeah. I worked on a project that was designed around 2008, uh, and it was uh, very gray, um, and it had some advantages. But one of the things that I found difficult uh, doing uh, DCS support at, at a customer site for operator and, and program support was um, the, the pump run, st- run status was um, if it was off, um, it was uh, white and if it was running, it was gray, so it sort of blended it into everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, e- even um, after several months, it was hard for me to remember which was which and operators uh, bitterly complained about, you know they wanted to see green for running and, and, and red or, or something else for, right. for stopped. Um, and I, I, think they were right, you know, I, I think you're, you mentioned something the, the operators
2: are bitterly, um, complaining and that's because we're not including the operators for people who have basically a stake in operations that, uh, in our designs. And we, you know, the, the way I, I look at it is just because you're an operator doesn't make you a great HMI designer. But just because you know how an HMI works doesn't make you a great HMI designer. That's right, we yeah. need the experience and the knowledge and the requirements from the people who are going to be the end users. And then if we do have that, we get that early buy-in in a project. We build the display system to meet their needs as opposed to, hey, look, this is the best way to do it because there's a standard. And we follow that standard. And this is how you should operate your plant. And that's a big mistake to get into, even though I think ISA 101 has a lot to offer in terms of recalibrating what an HMI layout should be. It still needs to first be adopted by the operators and operations so that we design those graphics to meet their needs. What are they doing? What are their tasks? What are their responsibilities? and not go off and make decisions on how the P&ID di- uh, drawings should be split up across whatever number of graphics or even migrate an old style system into a new style system. We, we want to make sure that we preserve as much of the value in the, the existing system, but we don't uh, we don't just discard a bunch of stuff thinking that we have a better way. The better yeah. way is what would be what the operators would would be successful operating.
0: It's so an excellent point, Andre. The, sh- the show is called Humanoid. And it's, it's about, um, you know, from, from my perspective, I, I seem to have uh, uh, a great deal of sympathy for those operators who uh, have to sit in front of these consoles for, for 12 hours a day, um, you know, si- 60 hours a week or, or more, depending on the shift, um, and, and, uh, and are tasked with uh, uh, handling uh, large, complicated, in some cases dangerous mm-hmm. equipment. Right? And,
1: and I, th- I think of projects that I've been on in the past, too, um, you know, you don't always have that operator interaction in the project. And maybe they just the, the company you're working for or the, you're contracted to just kind of lets people, lets the, the team go loose on designing the graphics. And, and honestly, in most projects I've ever been on the the team that kind of gets stuck with the graphics, to be honest, is usually the guys with the least amount of experience, right? Yes. The guys with the most amount of experience don't want to do graphics; they want to do config, right? They, right. They, they want the uh, they want to do all the logic, um, and the graphics kind of get turned over to the the younger team with the least amount of experience. They're the guys that cut their teeth; that's where they start learning everything, and then eventually they get up into configuration, right? But it's it's always been the the guys. Fresh, yeah. fresh into the team that uh, you set, set them on graphics, and they have the least amount of experience
0: to be designing a graphic, right? So Benji, you've been involved with some major projects um, in, in the uh, energy industry. How how um, how have you seen this this question of uh, involving operations. Um, have, you, have you seen that? I'd say for the most part, it, it, it's been pretty poor,
1: right? From the beginning of a
0: project there. There may not even no. be a, an
1: operations team or, or someone to turn to, right? Uh, some of the bigger projects I've been on have had an operations team, but they're mostly there after the project's done, after no. all the graphics are done to do the review or the fat or whatever it may be. But the overall theme is done, right? So, I mean, they might no. make a few subtle changes here or there, but if you've, if you've invested 2,000, 3,000 hours worth of work, somebody coming in, there's very limited amount of changes they can make at that point, right? So uh, I'd say there's not enough operator involvement in projects at the, at the get-go. <coughs> I think the advantage would be at a running facility today to be able to leverage, uh, do a graphics conversion and leverage on an operations team there, right? So yeah. we're, we're working at uh, our facility, we're going to work towards converting over to live over uh, a sort of a longer period of time I'll say. We, we sort of have like a two-year project span that we believe we're going to do this in and we're trying to build an operations team. Um, have dedicated guys from the panel guys or uh, to sort of sit with us and, and what do they like where you know we're going to interview them I suppose uh, as we start designing these things. What do you like? What don't you like? What would you like to see? uh, try to develop a bit of a library, uh, to show them up front of, well, these are the things that we can do. These are the things we could do and and, and try to build our graphics out that way. That's our, that's our approach going forward is to really involve the operations team and have it designed best for them and maybe coach them in a few aspects where they may not like something just because it's different, but, uh, you know, try to coach them into why this would be better for them.
0: How do you think you, um, you, you, you can handle this, this uh, you know, you, you talk about doing operator interviews or uh, uh, observations, um, but uh, you could get into this shift A, shift B sort of scenario where um, different shifts uh, or even individuals want different things.
1: Yeah, it definitely you could. Um I guess just from the get-go, what we're going to try to do is just work with the ops team and and just have them assign who is going to be the guy, right, or or the guys, and, and it's not everything can be by committee, right? Sometimes uh, too large a committee and nothing ever gets decided or or done. So yeah,
0: you you mentioned uh, the conversion um, at at your facility to uh, Emerson's new graphics engine, Delta V Live. Yeah. Um, I would be remiss if. Uh, we didn't uh, delve into that a, l- a little bit, um, and and you know may- maybe uh, maybe Andre, you c- you can jump in and, and uh, sort of talk about some of the um, industry best practices, and and you mentioned ISA 101, um, maybe some of the embedded uh, features from from that standard that uh, Emerson's put yeah. into uh, Delta V Live.
2: I, th- I think to, adding on to what uh, Benji was talking about, you know, we talk about graphic designs the first thing that we need to understand when we're talking about the hmi is what are the tasks that the operators are doing not oh well they they adjust set points or they start motors and then whatever they operate a plant right and they have to do things in certain ways they have to have access to certain information And today we also talk a lot about alarm state or operating states so that we can adjust the alarm system to be optimized to what the operator is doing. The alarms that we need in steady state operation are not necessarily valid when we're starting up, when we're shutting down or if we have multiple states of operation. So we we have to understand what the uh, operating tasks are, as well as How to present information for the operator to use. So when you get into a standard like ISA 101, it provides a context for um, presenting information operators to maintain their situational awareness, so that they don't lose focus of the big picture when they're working on a specific aspect, like whether the boiler is tripped. Right. Well, there might be three or four boilers that are providing steam to to the headers. They don't want Uh, You don't want the operator so focused on one boiler that he loses sight of the overall um, ability of the plant to produce steam. So we talk about a a plant area for the boiler uh, utilities that they can operate from and then displays to which they can delve into all of the details. But we have to do it in a way that recognizes how they would operate that plant what the responsibilities are and all that kind of stuff
1: yeah and and uh, when things ask how would it go about it so we've already kind of started that a little bit then you know one of the first questions i ask is just just go up to them go up to the operating panel and uh, just ask them why do you have these four screens open right the answer is usually because i'm looking at on this screen i'm looking at those two numbers on that mm-hmm. screen i'm looking at those four numbers on this screen i'm looking at those three numbers so it begs yeah. uh can we just put those eight to 10 things on a on one diagram for you and reduce those four graphics down to one
0: there, right. and there's yeah. there's an idea right we talked about the multiplicity of alarms there was we also suffer from a multiplicity of uh of displays yeah right? and most
1: right. of the time w- when i look at what they're doing they have you know they, they have nine screens at our facility to look at right so and, and you look and see they're not looking at the information on nine screens on nine, across nine screens they're looking on the information that could probably fit on one
0: screen right yeah I, I have in my experience I've seen operators operate from one screen okay. you know? so that's
2: the the uh, the whole concept of of having the layered disclosure of information right you your l1 display overview display and in, in the standard is really that entire span of control of an operator and what are the key things and not just not necessarily the specific operating parameters but the Uh, mandate that he has, whether uh, it's production quantities, it's uh, energy efficiencies, or all of these other things that are going to influence his decisions. And then the the next layer down is the L2, which is really where he should execute all of those decisions. He should be able in one display to be able to operate a span of control, if you will, or a set of units, uh, a plant area. And then all the L3 displays go to support that. And maybe L3 displays, if you think about them, the PNID type diagrams that we have in most of our uh, facilities, they're really L3 displays. And you get very focused unit level um, information on each one of those displays. And operators that are operating on L3 type displays are constantly going from display to display. I need two or three of them open. I need more real estate because my data is spread across these L3 displays. And the, the concept of the 101 standard is is to get that L2 display designed that brings all of that operational data for the L- the L1 display gives him the information to make a decision. The L2 display gives him all the tools he needs to execute on it.
1: Right. And one of the things you know I'm looking at doing is is take something like the event chronicle, right, and uh, filter by an operator's name in the event chronicle and just yeah. look throughout a week what does he interact with because it records right. everything, right. You'll find in a lot of the displays there'll be, um, like to Andres' point, the L3 actually has been presented as the L2. There's way too much information on it. There might be a controller on there that mm. nobody has changed the set point or interacted with for years because it just runs, right? There right. There's no need to interact with it. So why is it on his most predominant display? So yeah. if you go through the event chronicle and and you know all our operators log in by their name, so I can I can certainly filter by. What does he do in a day? What does he do in a week? What is he interacting with, right? Uh, yeah. You can kind of see, well, he makes moves on this controller or he changes the set point here often or whatever it may be,
0: right? It's not going to yeah. be like the movie Office Space, Benji, where you're going to ask them, what do you even do around here? Is it? <laughs> <don't> no. <know>. Okay. <laughs> but have yeah, the event skills. chronicle.
2: The Event Chronicle is a really powerful tool for an in, an installed Customer right because even when you take a look at abnormal situations right when this uh, equipment trips yeah, You can look at go? the event chronicle and go and see all the actions that the operator has had to take and then when you overlay that with the number of, of Clicks if you will or the number of graphics that he had to access to do that you start to understand that from a task perspective the displays Have not been designed around enabling the operator to respond to this situation And that's where a better understanding of those tasks leads us to the better design of graphics and even the automation uh, when we get down to uh, how an operator reacts, if they always have to do the same thing that involves 14, 15 modifications, uh, an automated uh, sequence of some sort would be useful to allow them to execute that consistently and quickly if that can be proven as that's, that's a function they have to do. So we need to look at how operators are operating and on a greenfield, that's a lot harder because we don't have that history. That's right, but That's yes, We can get certainly. experience from people who have operated plants and know that these are the things and the tasks that we need. And therefore our graphic design should be laid out to facilitate that and minimize the number of displays you have to navigate through.
0: So, Benji is going to look at some data. Uh, he, he's going to—he's ha- got the crazy idea. He's going to talk to some operators, mm. ask them what they do. Um, That's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think in these in these redesigns and uh, modernizations, there's a real opportunity uh, to uh, through the graphics uh, and, and maybe not just the graphics. There's other factors um, in, in in the control room, but through the, through the graphics to sort of optimize uh, how how operators uh, operate in, t- in terms of. Uh, performance, in terms of safety, um, and, and I'm sure there's, a, there's an economic aspect to this as well.
1: Yeah, and I, I think, um, you know, completely going to a new graphics engine, I only think maybe 50% of it is actually building graphics. The other 50% yeah. is designing what it is, investigating what, what you need to put on a screen, going through those yeah. event logs, interviewing the operators, watching what
0: they do, yeah. uh, and then the other 50% is building it, right? You said something interesting, Benji. You said like you've you've seen um, your operators and they've, they've opened up uh, many graphics and they're just picking off a few values. Yep. You know, and I mean, we, we know why that is. Uh, traditionally, we've taken our p ID, uh we've put that on a screen. Uh, maybe, like you say, j- junior people have built uh, every single element on that p There's some advantages to this approach.
1: Well, and not with not a and a lot of the projects have been on there. You know, they're. Going into the project, there is no graphic standard, right? They, they yeah. build it for the project, so as, as they go. And then, so yeah. You know, and so the what advantage they is build for a graphic standard. Well, we're going to follow the PNIDs. We're right? going to follow the PNIDs. Maybe you get a style guide out of the project. That, uh, at, least, at least drives consistency in, yeah. the, in, in what's placed on there. But uh, even the most style guides that I've. See, and they're just really consistency documents. It's yeah. it's not uh, design based. An overarching theme of yeah. how things are going to be designed. It's more yeah. of a consistency document. Listen, lines will be this yeah. thick, colors will be this. Uh, yeah. You know, there's there's nothing yeah. in them about well, this is why we would build it like this, and this is what we need to look at in order to put on the L2 and whatever it is on the L3, and this is what the L1 should have on it for information.
0: Yeah, and there's uh, some benefits because we take our PIN ID, we build that out on a graphic, and then we take our highlighter, we've all done this, sure. Uh, and then at FAT or at some other test, we highlight as we uh, look for those elements on, on the page, and by the time everything's highlighted, well, you're done, and someone signs off on it, uh, the engineering company or wh- whoever is right. doing and the graphics can say, well, no, we, we did our due diligence, look. Yeah. Uh, and and, and it is it is a legitimate approach.
1: And, and why it always becomes highly accepted, I think that way is uh, because it's, to your point, it, it's something you can check to so they can yeah. say, well, they built exactly what we designed on the P&IDs, right, where, yeah. um, didn't miss anything, it, it's it, all there. imagine that if you had a uh, majority of your screens were just graphs and trends and bar charts, uh, and then going to an EPC who wants to uh, check the design that you got their design intent, uh, that might be a bit of a sell as well on a Greenfield project, right? Yeah, yeah looking the, for those P and IDs yeah. and say, well, where's the lines, right? Where's yeah, the best? The, uh, yeah,
2: the, the thing that we found is in terms of uh, the the standard 101 is those L1, L2 displays, L3 displays being the PNIDs. When you get into those PNIDs, who draws the line between, OK, this information will be on this graphic and this information will be on that graphic? Because you can get the PNID on the L3 displays and say, OK, here's the unit and whatever. And these seem to be the points of crossover. And yeah, I think I've got everything. Or you have to split the unit up into two different graphics because you can't really it got too cluttered. So somebody's making decisions on what P and I D uh, drawing elements are being put on each graphic, and the end result is the operator has to access two, three, four displays to manipulate the variables that actually are being influenced by a particular process situation, which is where you get into this problem with operating from L3 displays, and that L2 display is recommended to be more of a process flow type level display. Not so concerned about having all the pipes and lines and valves and everything represented, but what decision factors and what actions operators need to take to make the product. And so it's a process flow as opposed to a piping and instrumentation. But having both of them gives you that ability to A, sign off on all the information being in the system at the L3 unit level, but having a task oriented, operator centric display at the L2 level. And when we uh, Benji mentioned a little bit about uh, style guides or those types of things, the standard kind of talks about that. You know a plant should have an, a plant should have an operational HMI philosophy that is applicable no matter what system you're using. right? This is how we want our operators to operate. And so if we, we pick a system, uh, we can implement this. But when you have different DCSs underneath the hood, the style guide is that transitional document that says, okay, when we do this, we do it this way on this system, as opposed to, and some we get mixed up sometimes, what's an HMI philosophy versus a style guide? And that to me is the difference. The HMI philosophy is, is really system agnostic, but your style guide should exist for each system because that's gonna guide you to implement that system in the best way and the best consistent way for whoever's going to work on your system, starting with the engineers that are going to build the system, uh, the EPCs or whoever's actually designing it originally, but also who's going to support it after the fact. The plant personnel who have to go in and update these graphics, what's their uh, reference for doing it and maintaining that consistency and staying within the desired scope so we don't end up with a lot of spaghetti code and everybody putting in their own personal preferences, which rarely really benefits the operator. Yeah. It might make you feel better because you did something <laughs> okay. neat, but sometimes you got to swallow your pride and implement the standard because it's not your system. It, and it, if it's anybody's system, it's the operator's system. No, the HMI
0: is
1: the operator's
2: Yeah.
0: Hey, guys, we said we were going to play uh, Whose Alarm Is It Anyway? So let's, uh, let's see if we can't uh, play some sounds here. And... Uh, you know, I mean, graphics is is uh, what we're talking about. But uh, the operator control room environment has has sounds. Um, you know, you, you, you're 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 designing for uh, interactions between between operators. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's some busy control rooms with uh, with too much sound. Um, you know, too much communication, a lot of traffic. So lots lots of consideration, right? So um, let's uh, let's play a sound here. Let's see if we can pick it up. You guys hear that? I can hear yeah, that. Yeah, I that? can hear that. Uh, I'm I'm I'm
2: just concerned about my uh, my
0: heart rate right now. Would you would you respond to that alarm?
1: Maybe. Uh, that would be to me, that would be more of an operator prompt, maybe, for uh information. Yeah. If you choose to respond to it, go ahead, but it's not the most important. No. Uh, it's
0: that that sounds not uh not installing a sense of urgency in me. No. It's no. more of a monitoring sound. What about uh what about this
1: one? <laughs> I think you'd be asked to remove that sound uh, as soon as possible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Still, I, I get a sense that that sound is, is urging me to t- take a look. Mm. Like maybe there's something going on. Um, okay, one, one more.
1: Certainly annoying would get your attention, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah if Super the goal annoying. is
2: to annoy the operator into action, that one works.
1: Yeah, that might get my yeah, attention. I, I think the alarm sounds need to be uh, attentive, but also somewhat pleasing to the ears, right? Uh, right.
2: Not too pleasing that they leave them
1: on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but but that's one of the things that is, uh, that's come out of all of these studies uh, from the Center for Operational Performance. and hcd human centered design is looking at various alarm sounds there's even a palette of of um if copy copy written um alarms alarm sounds that you can get from these certain companies or whatever and technically you're not supposed to steal them but the idea is you want to differentiate the level of urgency from uh, for, from from an audible sound And uh, it can't be so obscure that if you don't have a lot of high-priority alarms, which ideally you don't, um, if you never hear this, you you still want to know that you need to be doing something, right? It it needs to differentiate.
0: I got to play this one. It's called Funny Alarm Sound 1. And I haven't heard it, but let's, let's see what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean that
1: uh, that almost sounds like uh, an evac siren, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that wasn't so, so that's funny. That's something
0: I've heard. I was I was <laughs> hoping for a little bit more uh a little more more whimsy right. in in that sound, but uh yeah. So so that larger control room environment, I mean uh con- console setup um is, is a big big uh big part of that and one of the trends we've seen um is um more screens. Right. You Benji, you mentioned uh, you've got nine screens.
1: Nine screens. You, you know, and I'll, ju- I'll just I'll just throw this in. In in, uh, in console design, we uh, our first facility uh, Kirby South. There, we we had, uh, we had decent consoles. Really nice, uh, nice furniture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the the biggest complaint is not. Uh, Yeah, anything to do with uh, the amount of screens or the way the screens are laid out. honestly, the the biggest complaint all the time is I can't stretch my feet out, right? So uh, we found in console design, the number one thing that operators ask for is to be able to kick their legs straight out, right? Uh, And and not have to shift their body sideways or whatever it may be. So a a completely open console
0: design underneath uh, is the most important. (laughs) Ergonomics. Ergonomics, (laughs) yeah, and we don't really, uh, do much of that, uh, you know, certainly within within our company, but it's it's a huge factor, right? And I also, one thing I've noticed is, uh, what is the traffic like in the room? Right, where is the door? Who's coming in? I mean, we all op- uh, instrument techs and uh, field operators, electricians, all, all. These people need to come in and, and talk yeah, to operations. controlling
1: the amount of, uh, amount of people coming through the control room is important. And you were kind of mentioning it on screens there. We do, we, we run, our operators run nine screens. That would be six uh, 24-inch, set, I'll say, operating screens and then three 43-inch uh, overview displays, right? So uh, one of the overview displays is fixed to the alarm summary. Right. And the other two are actually just fixed to trends, right? So... In part of our um, change from where we are now on Delta V Operate and going to live is we're really going to look at those overview screens and see if we can take much yeah. more advantage of 43 inches of real estate space to be more than just a, a, a trend screen, right? Um, yeah. Uh, just runs uh, on each trend screen, right? They have four, tr- four separate trends up there, probably a total of about 15 to 16 pens on each screen, or a little bit more, maybe even 20. Um, but we think we can combine that uh, on, on a graphical element instead of a, a trend program, and, and just add a lot more information on there about their unit rate. So yeah. We're looking towards that.
0: Do you, do you find they, they
1: operate off trends? Uh, t- they do, they use yeah. the trends a lot, right? That'll be their their first point of looking at something. they And, and that is pattern recognition. They keep the right. same trends up all the time, and really, all they're, they're doing is they're glancing up to see if something's sort of out of the ordinary. Kind of to Andre's point of when you drive home, you yeah. notice the sign on the side of the road that maybe was different from last week, but you, you may not remember anything else about the trip home. right? So they, yeah. really, it's a pattern recognition, and it's evident in how they use those trends.
0: Right. You know, um, I'd be, you know, here. OK, buzz, buzzword alert. Um, Industry is going through uh, digital transformation, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, DCS systems have been uh, for a long time at the forefront of collecting uh, rich sources of information. Um, op- this is what operators, that's a bread and butter. The internet of things and the cloud, those are the buzzwords, Be- right? I, I still oh, don't, yeah, what, you I still s- don't you know what open. it is, but it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds cool. Sounds cool. Yeah, um, so, so there's a sort of a demand to send this information collected um, by the DCS to, to other uh, business, Business layers within the organization, um, are are you see are you seeing that
1: there is actually uh, that's one of the biggest pushes that we have these days is just the uh, the amount of data that others want right yeah uh, so that that goes sort of aside from the uh, the HMI design that's kind of in the background where you know at a secondary layer I'll say where there's a push towards having uh, well I'll say in the past we had a lot of remote access for the engineering groups into the control system as a read only right so they're looking at the same graphics and they're using the same trend system whatever it may be to try to glean off uh, the information that they need right but since we design our graphics for operators not engineers a lot of the information that uh, an engineering type might want isn't necessarily there right so yep. there, there is a big push really for designing with the information out of the historian their own set of graphics right whether it be through a through a pie or
0: whatever it may be, right? A, yeah.
1: a presentation layer for engineering, which is more KPI
0: based than I'll say, operation real-time based. Yeah, they're, they're looking at more uh, pr- production sort of data. Longer
1: term trends, whatever yeah. it may
0: be, how things are reacting, right? Yeah,
1: a- And building KPIs that uh, maybe somebody operating the plant at this moment may not be interested in, right?
0: Yeah. Um, uh, Andre, earlier you mentioned uh, the opportunity to uh, further automate the plant, uh, where you detect an operator doing the same task twenty times. You know, especially with uh, sort of repetitive type equipment, mm-hmm. um, a well pad comes to mind, right? They're they cookie cutter um, mostly uh, across a phase of a project, and you know, is is the HMI redesign a chance to to build some buttons that do, um, you know, sort of uh, automatic actions to help uh, reduce that operator workload to reduce clicks to um, produce a more consistent um, operational curve shift to shift is that um, something you're you're looking at Benji for we
1: have a lot of that like uh if you think about the, at sag d one of the major things is well testing right so mm. uh, we've been at some facilities and some near to us. Uh, where it, it's still a manual process from the HMI, right, to operator go in, open this valve, line up that valve, start the test, whatever it may be. Yeah, We've developed a, just a sort of a round-robin testing where you just set which wells you want to test for the day, and then you just push start, and it just runs. So 24 hours a day, our wells are going through test in a round-robin, and the operator has a control of uh, what the round-robin is. Yeah. So it's 100% automated, but... We're definitely looking at that'll be part of what we want to do. Is to Andre's point, if somebody does these 14 tasks all the time, either under a situation or a startup condition, or can you look at taking all of those 14 items or 15 items and making it into a single button through logic? Yeah, certainly. That it, it's I think it's it needs to be part of a I'll say a redesign of uh, what we're going to present to them. Yeah, make their lives easier.
0: So hey, Andre, you, you, you mentioned um, the standard. Um, you, you mentioned uh, Delta V Live has some of those standards built built into it. How, how does How does an end user work with that?
2: Well, I think that's one of the benefits of going to Delta V Live in terms of our project execution is the product has been designed with a lot of enhancements with the uh, on the design side. So as we talked earlier, if we end up with a bunch of uh, graphics that are designed and then the operations team comes in late in the project to look at them and say, hey, uh, we don't like this. We'd like to change that and change that and change that. Delta v Live at least provides us with um, a library that is a class based uh, configuration architecture. So a lot of the late changes can actually be executed fairly easily by modifying a class object that perpetuates through all or, or propagates through all of the. Uh, Displays in one shot. So we've got a lot of uh, benefits with Delta V Live in terms of being able to manage the environment even once it's finished. And that goes into this idea of the standards where we would be able to manipulate all these standard variables to adjust the look and feel of the HMI without necessarily radically having to redesign anything. If we've tied our objects, the gems, the uh, display objects to uh, clearly thought out. Uh, standard layout, then we have a lot of flexibility in how we can tweak that presentation at the end, including the colors and line sizes and fonts. And you can even have that uh, defined in themes where, under certain operating conditions, lighting conditions, you can have options that are built in that manage not just the colors, but also all of the uh, items uh, within that, such as line colors, line uh, sizes, uh, font sizes. And, and make the, oper- the operating environment even dynamically adjustable, night versus day, um, uh, an outdoor panel versus an indoor control room panel. Same display, just uh, operated on a different theme.
0: Hey, my, my iPhone has a, has a night mode now, which, uh, which I quite like.
1: Yeah, especially, I, certainly. I'll, especially when you're day.
0: driving. <laughs> At night. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you look at that a lot of software today, everything, uh, almost everything you touch nowadays has a, the ability to go to a dark mode, right? Whatever yeah. it may be. So, and, a, and that, I think that's a, a lot of <coughs> design and HMI, it needs to be intuitive. If you think of any software you used in the past or even on a daily basis, if if you're always hunting to try to figure out how to do something, it's horrible, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and that goes with an HMI design. Really, you are designing a f- software front end for s- for a user, right? And that particular user just happens to be a control room operator, but you're designing the front yeah. end
0: for that software. And and it needs to be intuitive throughout, and it needs to be consistent. Right, you know, we talked about sort of the human-centered design trend from the 2000s, some good stuff there. Um, today, to your point, Benji, uh, it seems like, um, the, the, the influence is coming from what they call UX, operator interface design. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, web pages, um, cell phones or, or, or tablets, um, that, that, kind of, that kind of idea. Yeah. Um, you were- UX, UX is your user experience, UI is your user
2: interface, and those two are kind of separate. My wife complains every time uh, Apple updates the, uh, the uh, face, FaceTime or whatever, Facebook, it's not Apple, but she has it on her Apple product, but she, it gets an update, and the next thing she knows, she can't find anything, yeah. she, and, and I get to hear about it. And that's the same thing with our operators, right? If we go in and we just randomly change how we do things, because we think, oh, this is better, uh, you're not gonna get a, a happy operator. They, they, they don't, don't want to hunt and peck for their information.
0: Yeah, one of the concepts from, from uh, UI UX is uh, your, your operator interface uh, should work like the other operator interfaces that um, people use, mm. you know, so people know uh, and have, have a sense of consistency about it. Yeah, what's yeah. the
1: general feel out there is it takes 10,000 hours to master something. Well, y- you can't have five years for someone to learn your HMI, right? To, to yeah. <laughs> you need to reduce the complexity down down to about two months to become an expert in whatever you've presented to them.
0: Right, mm-hmm. and, and then finally, I think the last buzzword I'll, I'll throw out there is, is uh, um, the whole millennial angle. So we've got a new breed of operators coming, coming uh, on, on board. Uh, they're they're used to um, some fairly sophisticated interfaces, um, and, and uh, you know, and and, and like you men- mentioned, Benji, you, you you're not going to have uh, possibly because of uh, changing r- workforce and and changing resource levels, you're not going to have years to onboard these people. That's right.
1: Actually, that brings a good point. With the the younger operators, a lot of the questions are: I, they want a lot of things out of their HMI. When you tell them, yeah. "Let's really can't do that," then they, they just, "Well, why?" Right? Like, yeah. I, I look what my phone can do. You're telling me that this system can't provide that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they they that's want a lot so. of they want a lot of, and it kind of worries me a little bit, maybe, because they're uh, so used to. Electronics today, they want a lot of fancier things in it, and it, it, I, I do see from the younger guys maybe a push towards yeah. the neat factor on the HMI, right? right. So you could try to tell them it's play on your iPhone. That's where the neat is. This isn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. this isn't where we want to put it.
0: No, and I, I've I've ha- I've had feedback from from um, some, some older automation guys saying, "Hey, Gabe, uh, this ain't a video game, right? You know, so keep keep it simple." Uh, and uh and i guess the the point there is you know keep um your design within the constraints of uh what's accepted as as a best practice uh, no more flames um right and uh but but we do have to sort of uh, modernize and um and, and get a younger generation engaged you know if if they walk into the control room and and they see sort of like that old black and yellow theme uh or you know it looks like something from uh you know and a I vintage movie
1: well and i think uh you know a lot of the the grayscale definitely was is way too boring if it's all grayscale i think there's a yeah. there's quite a few colors that are easy on the eyes and allow you to have uh the ability to see what's the most important data such as alarms cuz they're contrasting colors but you can you can make your hmi look with a, at least very pleasing to the eyes with the colors right to yeah not bright colors but uh, the backgrounds that are pleasing displays you, can, you know if you look at a lot of other software such as some of the stuff from Microsoft or whatever it be they're they're kind of going towards the same colors in the backgrounds right toward, yep. they're pleasing colors but they're not bright and shiny right?
0: yeah right, i got some more sounds guys i got to go <laughs> Okay, that's that's our cue to do a duck and cover. Yeah, yeah, that's kind
1: of a sound to uh, please leave, right?
0: Yeah, I uh, in in my home environment, I have a sound uh, which has been um, affecting me. It goes something like this. It's uh, (laughs) my cat on your cat's tail. My cat Finnegan, who uh, has been has taken to coming to me at uh, two thirty in the morning. To ask for uh, for a snack, so <laughs> very effective sound. Nice. Uh, he's got me figured out. Wakes you up. Yeah, it wakes me up. So, well, guys, uh, I think we're coming to the end uh, of of this podcast. Um, anything? Uh, any last uh, any last thoughts? Parting thoughts.
1: Uh, I, I would just say that uh, in in graphic design, I think. The, it can't be downplayed how important the operator is at, uh, in the design. Um, you, you probably have to steer steer a lot of the operators towards the, the new concepts uh, through explanation and, and show them with examples on why it would really help. But uh, I, I, I think in designing the screens and the layouts and what information is on what screen, I think that uh, the operator involvement is, is more important than anything there. Uh, they're the ones yeah. they're the end user, they're the sole end user, even though there might be a lot of people log in and from an engineering perspective or management to to look at the screens and see some data. Yeah. They're only read only and they're not the ones that use it on a daily basis. So it, it should really be a hundred percent tailored to the operator. Yeah, no good good point, Benji.
0: Andre, any any thoughts? Couldn't agree more.
2: I think uh our, our operators are are the people that need to be consulted throughout the display uh, process, right? So, you don't want to end up at the end of a project with uh, with not meeting the bar, right? Not not e- exceeding their expectations. So you need to start with them, and you need to iteratively work with getting approvals and whatever, so that you don't go you don't go down a rat hole that the operators are going to not like.
0: Yeah, no, and that's uh, I mean the show is called. Called humanoid for for exactly that reason. Um, sometimes process control people can come off as uh, being a bit soulless, uh, but I think under, underneath it, uh, most most automation people have a genuine uh, desire uh, and interest to make life easier for um, for for their operators, um, also to reflect sort of the business drivers um, that are you know are, are paramount at at most organizations um, that run these uh, industrial processes. So. Um, our job is to listen and, and learn from our, our fellow humanoids. So, uh, yeah, no, with that, it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun guys. Uh, I know you both, uh, live and breathe, um, process control systems as, as do I, as sounds kind of sad to say that out loud, but, uh, it's, <laughs> it's true. Um, so yeah, a lot, this, this has been fun. I hope we uh, get to do it again and thank you for joining us on Humanoid. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having us.